Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Mitu and Shami Malik from Musifer coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. We follow him on Instagram at thatguyhouston. Matt Harris, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing pretty okay, sir. Thank you for asking. It's very kind. Very kind of you. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. We have an update on the status of the Houston farmers market. That is the market near the Heights that was uh, colloquially known, colloquially, easy for me to say, known as the Caninos market. It was purchased in 2017 by MLB Capital Partners uh, with the goal of transforming it. And those transformations are finally starting to take shape. There's new buildings being constructed. There's a new green space underway, a new pavilion. And ultimately, the property will be home to as many as six new restaurants, including two from Chris Shepard, one that's going to be fast casual, and one that is going to be led by Nick Fine, the culinary director for Underbelly Hospitality. No real details on either of those yet, but they are in process. Matt, let me throw it to you. I mean, what do you think about these changes to the market? There's been some pushback from people who worry about gentrification and, uh, you know, chasing away the old vendors and, and losing the, the character of what made the place kind of special in the first place. Well, a couple things. Uh, I may or may not have had the opportunity to tour the space. Um, I think it's exciting. No, no offense to uh, anyone who uh, is making those complaints, but I think the uh, gentrification ship sailed long ago. Uh, I do have very fond memories as a native Houstonian um, going to the market with my grandfather growing up. That was always a special time. But, um, you know, things change, and uh, that's part of life. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and I – I mean, my sense is that so much in that area is changing so rapidly that if MLB hadn't purchased the market to keep it as a food-oriented business, that it probably would have just been bought by real estate developers and completely leveled. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but that's just that just seems to be the way things go in Houston sometimes. And so, you know, yes, there has been some disruption, and yes, you know, not all, you know, only, you know, roughly 30 of the approximately 40 vendors that were there when MLB purchased the property are, are going to make it to the pavilion. But that's, that's not, I mean, I think that's a lot. I, that's more than I probably would have guessed three years ago. Agreed. So, and, and the other thing is, you know, I, we don't really have like a dedicated like farmer's market you know, that's kind of available to the public in the way that, you know, like a Reading Terminal Market is in Philadelphia or some of these other places. And I, I love what Urban Harvest does every Saturday, but there's, like, it's it's not really, um, it's only Saturday mornings. It's only in River Oaks, right? It's, uh, it just seems like it, it has kind of a limited um, capacity. Well, 
the I, I think one thing that um, has uh, been sort of a obstacle to change is Houston's is in in, in its uh, its past has has looked to be like something else. Like we want you know this to be like Central Park, or we want this to be like fill in the blank. And I is, you know, Houston is very unique for lots of reasons, zoning, geography. And I think it's just like, let's just let this be the best market that Houston has. And I'd be fine with that. Right. No, absolutely. One of the, one of the things I'm really excited about is that they've recruited RC Ranch to open a butcher shop. And it's a Texas Wagyu purveyor that's doing some pretty good stuff. And they'll, they'll have, you know, all the, all the normal kind of cuts. They'll have burger patties. They'll make sausage. They'll make some prepared items like smoked meatloaf. And they'll, they'll even have some, some seafood. They're working with, uh, with some pork farmers on a heritage pork breed. So they'll have all that too. It's, uh, and they're working with ranchers in the hill country to get lamb. You know, again, it's like, we, you know, Houston's a big city. Like there should be a place to get high quality Texas beef, lamb and pork seven days a week. And I don't, I don't really know where that place is right now. And so, you know, kudos to the Houston farmer's market. I think this will be a real destination for people. Yeah, no, I think it's very exciting. And I, I fully expect to, uh, to be there. Um, I'm not sure weekly, but uh, certainly, uh, regularly. And, uh, at the same time, will I stop going to, you know, urban harvest on Saturday? Very, very unlikely. So, oh, no, right. No, of course not. And, and urban harvest, I think one of the things I really admire is that they're become a real incubator for kind of startup food businesses right now. You know, we've Tatsumo, the, the tortilla purveyor and, you know, dumpling house started at the market and now they have a restaurant in Sawyer yards. I mean, you know, I don't know Street that to kitchen. right street to kitchen is another good example, a Thai restaurant that we've talked about here before uh, El Topo, you know, I've had Tony Lerman on the show before they started, you know, they really built their reputation serving at the farmer's market. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that this um, more formal, uh, you know, maybe, maybe higher rent, you know, cause it's a for-profit business instead of a nonprofit will be as conducive to like those kind of startup businesses, but you know, a, a place could now reasonably start at urban harvest maybe, and then graduate to the Houston farmer's market. I, I think there could be like a really nice symbiotic relationship there. Yes. Long story short, I think it's a welcome addition. I'm excited about it. And uh, it's just another step forward in Houston. Um, uh, in the Houston food scene culture. So. Absolutely. All right. Let two thumbs up on. from that guy. <laughs> and two thumbs up from this guy. All right. Let us move on to topic number two, firehouse saloon, the honky tonk on the Southwest freeway at Fountain View is closed after 28 years. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's, terribly much to say about this other than to note it's 
it's passing, but Matt, do you have any firehouse saloon memories? You see any particularly memorable performances there over the years? Well, that, uh, um, that would require me to go back pretty far in my, uh, memory bank. Um, I do have, uh, some fond memories. Um, it was far enough back when I actually, um, was still wearing pants. So it's been a while. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. Been a while. I, that used to, before they started having the, uh, after shows at the rodeo, uh, that was a, that was a pretty, um, pretty solid spot to go after the rodeo and, and, and see some, some, some good music, good live music. Yeah. I have to admit, I don't think I ever saw like a, a national or regional kind of act there, but you know, just to, to go in there and, you know, have a Lone Star or Shiner and, you know, see some aspiring band like up there on the stage in front of an appreciative audience and, you know, any number of like, uh, they've any hosted any number of fundraisers and, you know, weddings and all yes. kinds of stuff there. So uh, definitely a venue that will be missed. And, you know, I kind of, uh, it's kind of been a tough moment for country music fans because Wild West, the dance hall that was, you know, just up the street from Firehouse closed earlier this summer. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just this, this COVID thing is just really, uh, it's just wrecking our performance spaces. It's a real challenge. Rest in peace, Wild Wild West. <laughs> and Firehouse Saloon. And Firehouse Saloon. All right. Topic number three. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a crush of openings recently, but I did just kind of want to note a couple of new cloud kitchens that I think are kind of interesting. Uh, the first one is Fat Kitchen. This is the, the spinoff of Fat Eatery, the Malaysian restaurant in Katy. I had chef owner Alex Young and Chef Cook Lamb on the show a few weeks ago. We talked about Fat Kitchen and some of their aspirations for it. Matt, let me throw it to you. What do you think about the ability to get Fat Eatery's cuisine here uh, inside the loop? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm not one that really complains about driving somewhere for uh, good food, but if it's closer, I'm not going to complain about that either. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm in favor. Well, I, I mean, anything that sort of helps fat eatery extend its footprint and, and build its reputation. Um, you know, that roti kanai, that beef rendang, the, you know, some of the other dishes that they do. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to try some of this stuff that, um, it tastes like it came from fat eatery. Um, and you know, cook is working on yellow, a Vietnamese sandwich concept. So they have a whole bunch of banh mi. Uh, the thing I am most excited about is that in the next couple of three weeks, they'll have uh, pig and duck, their Chinese barbecue concept as part of that. And I, you know, give me a, give me all the red pork and, uh, and Peking duck that, that you care to serve me, I think is kind of my attitude about that. All of it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's uh, starting to see perhaps some some small silver linings to come out of all this COVID stuff. And I'm going to put fat eatery in, in that category for now. Absolutely. All right. And then uh, second one I want to just mention is Hako Bento. This is the new Bento Box concept from... 
Shun, the Japanese restaurant on Shepherd Drive on the border of River Oaks and Montrose. You know, Shun has been a kind of highly innovative Japanese restaurant using some more local ingredients, mixing things up a little bit. Um, Hako is a lunch concept that's designed for to-go and delivery. So you kind of assemble a box. It'll cost you between 20 and 25 bucks. Um, Matt, have you looked at the menu for Hako Bento as someone who is pretty passionate about Japanese food? What do you think? Uh, I'm definitely intrigued. You know, we've had a fair number of experiences with Shun. It's, it's close to the house. Um, and it's definitely in the sweet spot in terms of the type of food I like to eat. So uh, I'm going to place myself in the cautiously excited category. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the menu right now. You get your choice of rice. You get a fried item, takoyaki, tempura, karage, pork katsu. You get a protein, chicken teriyaki, beef teriyaki, a couple others, a salad, edamame, kimchi, that kind of thing. And then you can add sauces. Um, and then they have, you know, Thai tea and some other things you can round it all out with. But um, it certainly looks intriguing. They, they gave a bunch of way to influencers on Instagram last week. The pictures looked good. I know that can, that can sometimes be deceiving, but... Uh, I will definitely be availing myself of a Hako Bento box here uh, very soon, either uh, probably via, you know, some sort of third party delivery app. Yeah, I think, I mean, this, the setup is pretty slick. Uh, I, uh, full disclosure, uh, if uh, we weren't recording this podcast today, I may even have had it for lunch. Uh, full disclosure. I, I also thought about ordering it for lunch and, uh, but you know, we had to we had a podcast to record. So, Daddy, get out of my head! <laughs> All right, Matt, that does it for our news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. So, Matt, for our restaurant of the week, I want to discuss with you something that's a little bit different mostly in the sense that it's not a restaurant, it's a pop-up. It is Sando Ichi, comes to Houston from Dallas. It'll be in Houston for the next couple of weeks. And, you know, part of what, it, it comes with a fairly lofty reputation. They have over 40,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, their first round of sandwiches sold out in less than five minutes. Sunday, they had a, they had a drop this week on Sunday night that sold out also pretty quickly. So uh, a lot of hype about this, a lot of pictures. It looks, it looks great. Again, you're someone who's traveled to Japan quite a bit. So you're, you're familiar with the Japanese Sando, which is served on milk bread and uh, very artfully arranged. So let me just throw it to you. What did you, what did you think of Sando Ichi and kind of how does it compare to what you've experienced in your travels? Well, I think one thing um, that uh, I try to avoid is comparing something that's so traditional, fundamental, like sandos in Japan to sandos here in the States, much like comparing tacos in Mexico to tacos here in the States. I will say, and not that there are rules, but no crust is a rule. So, 
I think every every iteration of the sandwich I had had crust on it. Again, slight challenge for me, but perhaps there's there's some reasoning behind that that I'm not aware of. Yeah, I mean, I you know having not been to Japan, right? I'm I'm sort of new to this and and sort of trying to get my hands around the hype. You know, we uh, I didn't get any special media access or anything, right? Like I ordered. I ordered through the website in the, in the three minutes it was live, just like everybody else. But yeah, I mean, my strawberry matcha, you know, they, 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 it still had the crust on it. So, you know, that struck me as a little bit odd since that, as I understand it, is one of the conventions. You had the egg salad, you had the Nashville hot chicken, did you, uh, and the pork katsu. I had the chicken and the pork as well. Did you, did you have a favorite of the, the sandwiches you tried? Um, they, not not particularly um they were all sort of in that that same same boat <laughs> yeah i mean i i like the heat i like the spice in the nashville hot chicken i thought it was nicely cooked i but you know i think i think ultimately you know the pork is very mild you know i i think the one thing for me is i thought the bread would have been a little more toasted i mean i'm i'm sort of familiar with the no okay no, apparently that's a big no-no. Well, it depends on the sandwich, but certainly not for um, egg salad. So, to each his own. Fair. Have you <laughs> have you found a Sando? Have you found any Sandos in Houston that you would order again? Uh, so, so just to back up a little bit, I I because we did talk about the bread a little bit, and I, I did I. I'm not sure if I felt like, uh, cause I had the, uh, uh, an extra egg salad, which I sort of ate later in the day and, and the bread had really sort of opened up if you will. And I'm just wondering maybe if they didn't take them, the sandwiches out, you know, long enough where they could kind of reach room temperature. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be sort of squishy, right? It's supposed to be sort of, uh, a soft component of this. Yeah. Spongy and supple is the word that, or words that I like. Okay. Um, Sewa Market, I think, does a really good job, just kind of across the board. So, you know, that's out on Dairy Ashford, but it's certainly worth visiting, not just for the Sundos, but it's uh, another really, I think, high-end example uh, of a uh, traditional market, H-Mart, another one, more Korean, though. And, and you can get milk bread, too, uh, so, you know, there are places that I think do katsu very well. Click virtual is, uh, probably top of the list. Uh, so you, 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 you can kind of make your own sando and Hey, you know, that's a good day in my book. No, absolutely. I, I will say, I think the, the Nashville chicken was my, my personal favorite. I like the, the spice. I like the, the crunch from the, the coleslaw. I thought that had a nice complement of textures and flavors but i i don't know that i like having had it and knowing that it's a little bit sort of difficult to get you have to be on the website right when they go live and be ready to order and and all of that i don't know that i'm going to go through the trouble of ordering it a second time while it's here in town well you know they they, they post a time that it's going to go live so um i'm not sure you know other than setting the alarm you know how much trouble it is of course you may not get sandwiches they may sell out too quickly so that's a little bit of a uh, a downer but um 
the uh, you know I picked uh, our sandwiches up actually, and I will give them a plus plus for organization. Uh, the line moved very quickly. They did a really good job. Uh, I don't know how many sandwiches they sold um, for Saturday, and they you know they had two pickup times, uh, but uh, I was there for all of uh, ten minutes, and it was a it was a decent line. There was probably fifteen people in front of me. So, well, good. Yeah, no, I mean, that is one of those things with pop-ups is uh, organization and efficiency can sometimes be a little bit problematic. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that they've got um, that end of the logistics down and uh, you know, I'll be kind of curious to see what other people's reactions are to this. Cause I, you know, the, you know, the obvious question is, you know, are they coming here with the intent of opening here? You know, that's not at all clear. Um, are they just going to go back to Dallas and, and do something there on a more permanent basis? Or will they just make periodic visits to Houston and cause a sensation and then, you know, head back north? I mean, that all of that is is really murky. But uh, I don't know. I'm glad I got to try it. Um, I'm glad I can have an opinion about it. And uh, I think that's kind of where I am with Sandoichi. I, uh, I think that's fair. I think that's probably where I am as well. I certainly, you know, wish them success. It feels like they're just getting started. So, um, you know, again, um, creating a product, creating demand for a product, um, being able to sell that product. Uh, these, these are difficult things. Um, so, you know, we, I'm I certainly going to keep an eye on, on, on where they go from here. Absolutely. All right, Matt, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. And I will be right back with Mitu and Shami Malik. Stick around. I am joined this week by Mitu and Shami Malik, the owners of Musifer the very elegant Indian restaurant in the Galleria that opened earlier this year. Let me introduce you separately so that people can hear your voices. Mitu, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Eric. I'm great. Thank you very much. And Shami, welcome to you. Hi, Eric. Thank you both for doing this. Let me just kind of start at the beginning because I, you know, I remember when the you know, this was very first announced. There was a giant banner that said Spice Route that hung over the side of the Galleria. And no one could really tell me very much about what it was or, or you know, what was coming. So how did, you, how did you kind of get into the restaurant? So what is the Spice Route company? Just for, for people who want to learn a little bit about your background and kind of how did you, how did you become involved in the restaurant business? Right. So the restaurant business for us is our newest business, though now it's getting to 16 years. Uh, we opened our first restaurant in 2004 in Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, how did we get involved? Well, it goes a long way. You know, um, <clears throat> the, 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 I, I do remember when I was a youngster, I, I, there's, there's this one movie which was called Casablanca. <laughs> and I was, I was so intrigued by this, this guy in his white suit and hat and a cigar in the hand and owning the, 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 the most, the, the poshest restaurant in, in Casablanca. I said, hey, maybe one day I can do this. 
Yeah, so, anyways, so that that was that was that was not really what made me do this. But when I look back, I say, hey, it all it, it's all coming through, and it, it you know somewhere there there was a hidden passion to open a restaurant. We were in the food business. Uh, we started with ice creams, and uh, so it didn't seem like uh, it kind of seemed like a natural progression to stay in in the food business. But having said that, and and what Shami says, um, I remember when. When when we uh, when we were out for a date before we got married, um, this is the you know first or second time that I met him, and uh, this is what he said that he was working at that time, and he said at some point in life I really want to own a restaurant. So I think that passion was always there, and um, we had we had been importing ice creams for a while um, into Nigeria. Where from, from America here, that was one of our first businesses we started. Uh, uh, the, the, so, so it's it's a dairy called Wells Dairy, and they make this brand of ice creams called Blue Bunny. And we're still doing that. It's 25 years uh, running. We're probably one of the biggest ice cream uh, you know, suppliers in West Africa right now. And so that's 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 where it started. And then we also had a business which was to do with commodity trading. So in the the West African belt, you have um, cashew cashew nut, which grows. Um, and, uh, and, and so we procure cashew and export it to different countries. And we were living in um, Ivory Coast in Abidjan, uh, setting up the, the, the business for cashew export from there. And that's where we came across a restaurant, a brand from South Africa, a pizza brand called Debonair's Pizza. And we really liked it. The, we liked the quality of the pizzas. And we just suddenly struck us that, hey, you know, Nigeria is, is, is such a big country. It's, it's Africa's second big nation, biggest uh, nation, and it's, it's got no pizza franchise, which is operating there. It so, no pizza, period. Yeah, yeah, no pizza. And so we, we, we took Debonair's Pizza to uh, Nigeria. We opened up a outlet in Lagos. And, uh, you know, a lot of effort there. Mitu went and um, did her, her entire training in South Africa for, uh, you know, learning the standard operations of procedure, how a brand operates and what, what goes into getting the most. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a wonderful experience other than uh, in addition to, you know, just going to a new country and, and seeing and meeting the people there. It was... Um, the entirety of the operation from finance to procurement to uh, hiring to training to quality control, you know, a complete uh, sort of uh, training package. So I did that and uh, we, I came back to Lagos and, you know, started, we, we both were, our philosophy in all our business, whatever we've done, you know, completely self-made. Um, philosophy has always been very, very hands-on. So whatever we have done, you know, he and I have been at the forefront, you know, running around. And, and so at, at, when no, we yeah, started yeah, the pizzas, he was cutting the pizzas and yes. I was at the make line. So it was, it's, it yeah, was we, we, we really made kind of history from the time we were doing our ice cream supplies. I had a motorbike and we had a truck and she and me used to ride to a cold room, you know, do the supplies. I, I used to drive the truck. She used to, you know, write the invoices and so, and then that same thing translated into the pizza business. And then from there, it went on. We were, I mean, that one, the first pizza franchise we opened, we were the number one selling uh, restaurant in the entire of the African continent for four years in a row. And uh, it was a lot of hard work, but we made it, you know, so. Wow. So, all right. So you must have, so, 
I assume that there are now multiple locations of oh yes, Debonair's Pizza in Nigeria. That's right. Yes, we we own multiple locations over there. We franchise the business out as well. We also started Steers, a burger franchise, uh, Fisherways, a fish and chips, mug and bean, a coffee shop, and then you know, uh, out of pure passion, uh, the Indian restaurant. And the first restaurant was called the Spice Bar. It was a it was a more a casual dining Indian restaurant. Uh, again, I remember the story is, is, is amazing that, you know, we just, we, we hired two chefs, you know, one for the tandoor, which is a charcoal oven and one for the curry. And we did all our trials in our backyard. You know, it was just the two of us. Mitu <laughs> um, went and got the, the, the entire, you know, decor. interior decor uh, from, from the markets in Lagos. And we just put it up and next to a pizza place. Uh, and... Uh, and and there there we there we were. We just I think the focus, like you said, was always uh, uh, to roll out the cuisine in its most authentic form, and that's what got us a lot of people who you know diners come through who, who appreciated us and who appreciated what we were doing. And, and then so it was again a natural next step ahead that we uh, we created a better ambience. We created a a better product and so we shut that down and we actually got that uh, into a fine dining high end and then it became spice route and the spice route eventually became the spice route company okay. which is now uh, where the vision is with us is that we want to work on theme based restaurants so this probably is the one and only you know most awesome. by the spice food company and uh, probably we go to LA or Austin it's going to be a different name Similar cuisine, but a different concept. All right, you, you you jumped ahead on me just a little bit, but how did you decide to open a restaurant in Houston that kind of built on your success with the fine dining with the fine dining restaurant? Like, how did why did you pick Houston for your first American project? Okay, so Lagos, Nigeria, Nigeria is an oil based, uh, oil rich, uh, you know, nation. And there's a lot of business uh, travel between Houston and Lagos and Port Harcourt, where both our restaurants are in, in, in Nigeria. And uh, we had a lot of diners coming in from uh, who were based out of Houston. I had a lot of friends who were, you know, working for all the top oil companies. And I would be playing, I play golf, so I, I, I made a lot of friends who, who would be diners at, at our restaurant in, in Lagos and Port Harcourt and were, were belonging from Houston. And a lot of them told me that, hey, Shami, you know, it would be great that, you know, one day if you could bring this brand to, to Houston. And I think the credit goes to one of my close friends, uh, Naresh, who, who, um, who was also working for a Houston-based company in Lagos. And he kept telling me, I think it was over three years. Yeah, more than kept, two years. Yeah, he just said, you you got to come to, to Houston. You've got to see Houston. So one day I just took a flight. I said, let's go. I came. We looked at the market. We were, we, you know, we saw the diversity. We saw it to be... People are so well-traveled here. It's such a cosmopolitan city. Um, the food scene is anyway great. You get amazing food. Um, there's people have uh, expendable income. So it seemed like and it's uh, also got a very big um, Indian and Pakistani population as well so it kind of seemed like uh, something that would really make sense for our brand 
and uh, so far we have not regretted it at all we're really pleased that we're here yeah i mean we do have a tradition of kind of upscale or fine dining indian restaurants you know certainly indica and karen's come to mind as kind of the 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 first examples um so yeah so you must have had had a sense that you you could potentially be well received yes absolutely and then I mean, talk to me about the, the process of creating Musifer because it, I mean, the interior is really so elaborate and just, I mean, decadent really that, that I, I can't think of another restaurant that's, that's quite as, um, I, I'm not even sure what the word is, that, that, that has so, so many different design elements um, with, the, with the different rooms. Absolutely. So, um... One of the key um, sort of factors in our vision for a restaurant, um, whether even our first restaurant in Lagos, um, always was that we wanted the diners to have a truly unique experience of as close to visiting the country as possible. Uh, so we decided, uh, even in our uh, other two restaurants, though they're a little simpler, they, the idea was um, various different elements coming together with sort of a common thread or a common theme to connect them all. And uh, so for Musafir, we knew from the, from the beginning that it would be something that would be truly uh, extravagant in addition to it being a unique dining space. And I think the rest kind of fell into place when we got the property itself, when we, when we finalized on the location. Uh, it's a beautiful high-end upscale, upscale location. And it was um, 10,600 square foot property that we got. So we definitely had to be imaginative because we wanted people to come in again and again into the same space, but every time have a different dining experience depending on where they were seated within the restaurant. Um, so we decided consciously to create different dining spaces as well as different um, um, sort of din dining experiences. Uh, as, you, as you would have seen, we have the three divans, uh, which is a totally different dining experience. It's, you know, casual, laid back. You have the low coffee tables, but we do full dinner service there as well. You know, the patio. Then even within the restaurant, if you're sitting at the Shish Pahal, which is the Palace of Mirrors, it's a totally different experience uh, from sitting in the traveler's room or sitting in the shadow room. So, um, so those were the key factors that kind of helped us uh, get to the, what, we, what we eventually have here. Uh, we also wanted to highlight um, certain elements of the arts and crafts that are, uh, that are so hugely found in India. So we have the Dokra art wall, which is just a one, you know, sort of art and craft element that we picked up, which is found in three states in India. And we decided to highlight that. So we just have that entire feature wall, which has the Dokra wall. We have the, in the shadow room, we have the Muras, which is the cane chairs, which are also very traditional uh, and found everywhere, you know, within India. Um, we have the Chitai work on the bar, which is also very unique, uh, sort of art form. So we wanted to bring, again, the keyword is authentic. So we, we really wanted to bring authentic aspects of art and craft and culture uh, in India so that, you know, people who haven't been there or don't plan to go there would still get an experience of what it could be like 
to dine in India. And to that end, we actually have had uh, diners comment that especially, um, you know, sitting in the Shish Mahal, because there are similar uh, Shish Mahals in India, that they really feel like they're back home in India and they're, you know, dining at a beautiful, uh, you know, Shish Mahal in India. Uh, that, that reminds me, there was something which, which uh, uh, there was, a, there was a, a group of young uh, Pakistani diners who came in and you know how in India was one country before the partition happened and they came, they said, they, they told me, he says that I don't know whether you were able to realize this or no, but we want to really thank you that, that maybe in our lives we might not be able to travel to India for one reason or the other, but for bringing something to us over here, which makes us feel that we've actually been there, you know, kind of thing. So that really touched me as well. I said, well, that's, that's a good yeah, reward in the sense yeah. Yes, yeah, that we delivered. Right. And, and uh, you know, a big part of creating those, you know, those memories or that impression of authenticity, obviously, is the food. Um, and so you have Chef Mayan leading the kitchen. I mean, just talk a little bit about kind of how you found him and, and what you did to get him ready for such an ambitious project. Okay. So uh, we, obviously, through our restaurants, which we opened, we, we made a, a, a inroads into a lot of friends and in the hospitality industry. So when we were opening uh, Houston, we, this was going to be uh, our showcasing to, the, to, to America and the rest of the world of where we can pitch our, ourselves to. So um, we approached a lot of our friends and you know, to, to get word of mouth on, on, on different chefs. So we interviewed a lot of them. And I, I remember my aunt uh, was referred by a friend and he was working in, 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 a, in, a, in yeah. Bangalore in a, a famous hotel called Leela. And we just you know, flew down, both of us. We stayed in the hotel and uh, we experienced a, a course meal from my aunt. And then in the evening, we just took him to a bar and sat down and we had a chat. We talked about life. We talked about his, 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 um, his values, his his ambition, his, his, what he wanted to do ahead. And uh, we, we really thought that, you know, um, this young man gels very well with our vision because our quest and his quest seemed to be aligned together. And that's where it all started, you know, so we chose Mayank. And from Mayank ahead, then we chose a whole team, you know, people who had worked with Mayank, people who had been working in our restaurants in, in, in Lagos before. and. And we we build, we kind of picked skill sets of, of of different sections of the kitchen as well as regions, so that we could get authenticity of the, in the food. So that's where it all all began. And then, if I can step into the journey uh, for uh, for Mayank as well, that we we uh, we uh, I think uh, the vision aligned that let's not do just uh, the food from northern, uh, northwestern frontier part of India or the southern of India, let's do and bring India in its entirety to the table. And then, you know, the concept of the journey uh, was, was brought in and, and started from there on. So with Mayank also, I think the, our first meeting and our first tasting experience was very important um, because the the, the flair for flavors um, has to be absolutely spot on. Uh, and it's, it's different from person to person. So even if someone recommends something, it may not be um, 
what it actually should be unless you know you yourself have we're uh, we're very passionate about our food and our flavors so we were very sure that we have to have an in person you know not just the meeting but an actual tasting so we really liked um that we had a 12 course uh, chef tasting meal it was really nice uh, also to see the thought process that went into the dishes that were created and of course the flavors that were you know spot on so that was the first step that we that you know kind of made us um think in the affirmative of having my uncle on board and then like shami said spending the evening together just getting to know what our expectations were uh, from you know the future of the brand and for him aligning with us uh, in what what we had envisioned from the brand i think we were very fortunate so from your perspective i mean how's it going because you know you're not doing you know tandoori chicken or or you know lamb vindaloo or some of the you know some of the staples that that people make may expect from an indian restaurant you're you're doing a much broader spectrum of the cuisine i mean what is what has um, the response been like i would say that we have had um we still uh do have some staples like the dal makhani which is you know the black lentil right. right sag paneer and samosas yeah. i mean there are there are some of that some stuff. of that but it, we were we've been pleasantly surprised by um i'll give you an example we had um uh chicken soup which is not on the menu uh not on the current menu and uh, it's from a place in kolhapur which is in maharashtra and we had a guest who had come in and she said that i cannot believe that you have this soup which is only found in my village and the region surrounding my village i have never ever come across this anywhere she was so so thrilled uh, about that and she said i'm telling everybody uh, you know that you must try this so we've had and we've had this on multiple occasions where indians have discovered something which was only from you know their state or their part of the of the country and they absolutely love it and apart from that um for for a lot of guests it's um it's also we do have first timers you know who have never ever had indian cuisine um and those who have had indian cuisine and we've seen that so far people have been very receptive um i think when you when you're able to trust uh the brand when you're able to trust the people you are you're 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 receptive to what is being given to you because you know that you know they're not just fooling they're not just you know making up things and we always um our philosophy in in all our restaurants has always been especially when menu designing uh, has happened has always been that it has to be an i tell the guys that if i close my eyes and whatever i put in my mouth i should feel like i'm sitting back home and i'm eating this you know in india so the taste and the flavor profile has to be absolutely what it's meant so, to be eric if you so, would ever if i could ever you know go back and tell you in the last 3 years the amount of discussions we've had between the chefs and us <laughs> and it's mostly mitchu you know who signs off because i'm so easy to please you bring me a great dish <laughs> and i said Oh, but, but with Mitu, he says, "Okay, guys, go have dinner and let's come and meet." And, then, <laughs> and there's this one diary, diary she writes on, and they've been always saying that we want to steal that diary <laughs> you know, because it's been discussions after discussions on how to change that dish and how to rework on it to 
just come to the level of where it's as authentic as it should come from the region it's represented or coming from. So that's what's the philosophy been and that's come answering your question that yes, uh, there is like a staple menu for most restaurants all over the world, which are those dishes you mentioned. We do have uh, most of them in some form or the other, but we also still, you know, I mean, uh, with the research we've done and with the way we're changing our menu on every season, you give us this chance to just go keep on changing. And we've got in our bank, I think, of recipes. Four years probably, we, yeah. we won't repeat a dish. <laughs> and that's, that's not our, uh, you know, the credit doesn't go to us, the credit goes to our country. It's, 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 uh, it's so There's vast. There's so much. There's so, so much, much that it's, you know, uh, I mean, the, it's, uh, it, we, we're so excited to just showcase this to, to, to the world. Right. And I, I guess the, the next menu that you're excited to showcase is uh, for Diwali. Just tell people a little bit about what you have planned because I know that's, that's such an important holiday. Yes, it is. So our Diwali menu actually uh, goes live from today. We have it for the entire week. Um, we decided to keep it for an entire week as opposed to just the day of Diwali because there are, um, there are different sort of um, celebrations that happen in the days that lead up to Diwali. Um, as far as the menu goes, uh, Diwali is traditionally a Hindu festival and 80% uh, uh, or more of Hindus are vegetarians. So it's a very vegetarian dominant festival, vegetarian dominant and dessert dominant. It's um, yeah, lot of Indian sweets, uh, you know, in the days leading up to Diwali, you're, you're meeting with friends. It's like, like sort of like Christmas where you give gifts to each other, you, you exchange sweets. So if, you know, I made some special uh, sweets at home, I'll, I'll send it out to my friends and they would send to us what they've made. So that's, you know, vegetarian and sweet is the dominant flavor. So working with those two things, we decided to do us, we didn't want a very big um, a course meal. So we did a concise six course meal menu that we've rolled out. Uh, we have two appetizers, both of which are vegetarian. Um, we have, of course, the option of entrees uh, is a veg and not veg. And then we have two beautiful desserts to end uh, the meal with. So going by the Diwali tradition, the vegetarian and the, the sweet components of the meal uh, is more than the main uh, entree part of the meal. But um, also going with the spirit of Diwali. So Diwali, uh, people do a lot of, it's, there, there's something called Rangoli in which um, there's, there's colored um, flower that's used to make beautiful uh, patterns on the floor right outside your house. So we kind of took inspiration for that in our menu as well. So the plating is done in such a way that it looks really um, colorful and it's, it's similar to like a, it's you know, really like a rangoli uh, sort of pattern. And um, our dessert has, uh, so in Diwali, we also light up our houses um, with traditionally, they are small clay lamps called diyas. And so our dessert actually has an edible diya. So it comes, you know, lit on the plate and it's absolutely beautiful and amazingly delicious. And then I did just want to shift gears slightly. I mean, you know, you opened kind of right at the start of the pandemic. And, you know, you had to close for a little bit and, and reopen. I mean, 
what has it been like for you sort of adapting to this new reality and, and how are you feeling about operating with the masks and the hand sanitizer and taking people's temperatures and, and all of the, the things that you're doing right now? Yeah, not definitely not the opening that we had envisioned at all. Um, it was after, you know, this restaurant has been in the works for uh, about more than two years is what it took us just to build it. Uh, so having gone through those struggles of, you know, selecting and, and getting things made and then shipping them and bringing them and then putting them, the last thing we ever expected when everything kind of fell into place was that we would open um, in a pandemic. Yeah, we were just ready to open when the city, sorry, city uh, shut down um, in uh, March. And uh, so I guess, you know, human race is resilient and we just kind of put our heads down and said, this is the new reality and let's just get on with it. We, we put our heart and soul into this. And if this is the way that we have to operate it, then, then this is the way we have to do it. So we just, we were also very fortunate again with, with all, with, the, with our entire team, with our front of house team, as well as our back of house team, everybody kind of buckled up and stood by us and uh, said that, you know, let's get on with, this is how it's done and this is how it's done. So, um, so that's how we started. And I guess maybe, in a way, it might have been easier that we didn't have to start a certain way and then, you know, reinvent ourselves to suit the pandemic. We just opened under those kind of uh, harsh circumstances. So for us, this is what reality has been from day one. So we were, you know, taking off temperatures and wearing off masks and hand sanitizing. It's, it's just something that we've, uh, we haven't seen any different in Houston. So I guess, you know, that's one way to put it. <laughs> Right, but it does. It does seem like um, it does seem like people are are starting to feel more comfortable dining out. Maybe not during the week as much in my just in my own personal experience, but it, it sounds like you you've been able to kind of expand uh, what you do and and you know maybe stay open a little later and and have some more people in the restaurant. I, I think as well, yes, that, that what we've seen is that we've, we've had mostly our growth has been organic and that's people rippling, people, you know, bringing family, bringing uh, friends over. And I think it's been uh, people, people uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm saying from uh, our uh, you know, point of view as in what we see in Mustafa, that uh, looking at, you know, the, the, the procedures we follow, looking at, you know, how they feel safe in our restaurant as well. I think people are, uh, you know, becoming more confident. And so I think it is the pattern for every other restaurant in, in Houston as well, that people are getting a little more uh, wary and uh, of, of, of the pandemic than initially was. And they're, they're trying to brave out as well to, to understanding that the precautions which are being, they have to take and which are being taken by, you know, institutions like us so uh, that's that's what I could probably you know um, uh, say that it, it's it's slowly we can see the growth in our sales as well and I think also um, I'm I'm a pharmacist by background so uh, I think what we have observed as rules within our front of house staff as well as our uh, premises we are so we have a restroom attendant 
who cleans after every guest comes out all commonly touched services we have uh, her walking around we have we have like a you would have seen we have um, around our bar we have sort of like a narrow uh, balustrade constantly wiping down that balustrade constantly wiping down the doors that open into the patio both in and out um we we sanitize each chair after the guest gets up and leaves um, tables are anyway being sanitized uh, we're constantly pre-shift there's always it's the same thing but it's you know five minutes of guys what is it that you're doing you're constantly sanitizing what do you do after everybody gets up and goes so it's a constant repetition it might have been something that you know gives confidence to guests as well that we are being you know overly uh, I mean, we're taking as many precautions as we can so yes. so we, we make a team here i'm pushing for more business she is pulling you know for control <laughs> so, <laughs> so so we're balancing it all right and then and then uh, finally I mean, you you alluded to uh, plans to open in Austin and Los Angeles. I mean, what what would you like your kind of growth in America to be? And and you know, is it is it with this fine dining concept? Um, what are what what would your what would your hope be for the next maybe, you know, three to five years? Oh, I think what we're doing right now is we're identifying cities where we see potential. You know, we're we're identifying cities again and then. Then working on models, like I was telling you before, that this is probably the most only Musafir. You know, it's going to be something else in a different city. Uh, taking an example for, uh, I can't disclose exactly what it's going to be like, but a city like Austin, you know, it's a young professionals uh, growing city, you know, a lot of students there. So the kind of menu and the kind of restaurant, the, kind of, the, the, the size of the restaurant, what we're designing is going to be, um, uh, it's going to be. It's going to be different. It's going to be it's, customized. Uh, so yes, that's I mean, the plan. That we we study the market and the city that we go into, and then we custom design the entire concept uh, to fit into that. It's very exciting, but I can disclose <laughs> that. Right. Too, too, right. So so stay tuned. Essentially. Right. Yeah, tuned, yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, me too. Let me start with you. What is your favorite cookbook? What's my favorite cookbook? My mother's cookbook. Whatever she wrote it as, her, as recipes. And she was an amazing cook. That's a, that's a great answer. Shami, how about you? I think uh, uh, it was my upbringing, uh, which is my favorite, it, it's my memories, which I live with. You know, my, my mom took us to the farm uh, every weekend and I saw my grandma's boats from my dad and my mom's side, you know, how they fed entire families and, and how meals were prepared. So that was my inspiration. That's my cookbook. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Bruce Springsteen, the first person to come and perform in India. I remember I was on a trek uh, in, in, in the hills and there were floods and we had to make it to Delhi. So it was, it's a long story to <laughs> tell you some other day, but that was Bruce Springsteen. I saw mine. I didn't see any bands growing up. Um, I was the quintessential studious uh, nerd. Um, the first band we saw was, was with Shami uh, in Brazil called Chiclet Com Banana. 
And then uh, what is your, have, have you developed an American fast food guilty pleasure? Burgers. <laughs> Burgers. Where do you go? Okay, so Hobnoddy has been our, 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 our favorite for the family, uh, the kids and us. And Papa's also the kids. Papa's as well, yeah, Papa's as well. And then, then we have a burger night at home every, every week and uh, we had one like, last <laughs> night and I'm, I'm the guy who makes them. All right. Well, I always I ask people, this, this, this may be tough. Do you have a favorite Houston sports figure, a, a professional athlete that you, uh, that you admire or maybe even that's, that's dined at the restaurant? Okay. So we have to be straight up with you. Uh, uh, just as much as you understand cricket is what I understand, baseball or American, or, or American football as well. So we're learning. We're, 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 we're watching uh, because we're here now and we need to learn know and understand the sport which is played here. So we had one uh, player who was Deshaun Watson who yes. came here, you know, and he was, I mean, all, all I can say is that I heard a lot about him. I've been seeing what he does, but he was a wonderful person. Wonderful. Very, very important. That was, very that was nice. what we, uh, that's, that's our exposure right now. All right. And then finally, when you go out for pizza, what, what toppings, what are your favorite toppings on your pizza? For me? Mm-hmm. Me, it's only onion, onions and pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Simple as that. But Mitu is the oh, indulgent yeah. yeah. pizza. I love rocket leaf and figs and blue cheese and pesto and all of that uh, stuff, which none of them want to even share with me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So give us the give us the website and the Instagram for Musafir. Yeah. So it's Musafir. The Instagram is Musafir Houston, uh, and the website is uh, MusafirHouston.com. Well, me too, and Shami, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. It's been a pleasure. As always. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.